starting in verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual morality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Father, We thank you for this journey through Revelation. God, we thank you for the present day relevance of it. We thank you that that you gave the Apostle John a, a vision of how things really are. To peel back the curtain in order for us to see what's really going on in this world and what's really going on with with your kingdom with how you advance your purposes and your will. And as we've come to this point in Revelation and have explored so much, and as we close in on the end, I I pray that your spirit would help us to to see some things in this text today that will help us to live as a faithful Christian here in Seattle. As we talk about the city and and the ways in which it shapes us and the things that you call us to from it, God, I pray that you would just give us a vision for why you've placed us here in Seattle. Why you and your sovereign purposes have brought us here specifically. So Father, would you help us to see in in this text the ways that you rebuke the evil city and the ways that you call your disciples to to remain faithful to you even in the city. So God, would you help us? Would you unite your power with my 
weak words and, and be our helper today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I mentioned this last week, uh, but last, last week I was able to go on a, a trip to, to Park City. And as you've already seen in the announcements, uh, my brain is a little tired. And so we'll see if we're off the rails or if it's clear, we'll see. So one of our values here is grace for everyone, right? Can we all say that together? Grace for everyone. Some of you didn't say it. I don't give grace for you then. I went on a trip to, to Park City this last week, and it, it was a really good time. Uh, it was really good. We got to, uh, every year I, I go on a little retreat with some other guys that I've done ministry with in the past, and it's always a really encouraging time. And, and uniquely this time, this was the first retreat that we had done together where the majority of us were lead pastors. As we've done this in the past, uh, some of us were lead pastors, some of us were youth pastors or music ministers, and, and now, as each of us have kind of moved forward in our calling, most of us are, are lead pastors or are at least about to be as church planters. And, and I just want to say, it was so encouraging to leave that trip and be so ready to come back to you, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to know that I'm coming back to Icon and not to some of the other churches that they're having to pastor. Um, I just want you to know that that trip was really good for me, but it is such, it really is. It, it is a joy. And, and as I was reflecting on the way back, I, I really grew in gratitude for getting to be your pastor. You've been so good to me. And I, when I say that I love you, I, I really mean that I love you. And on that trip, not only did I grow in gratitude for you, but also grew in gratitude for our city, Seattle. Uh, I drove down to Park City, so about 12 hours or so, through nothing but dry dust patch. Um, anything on the other side of the pass is pretty much nothing. I don't, I, I know I talk about this all the time, but I don't know why people move to Boise. I'll never understand it. It was 106 degrees there. Um, it was really bad. And even the mountains in Park City, I, I, was, I was looking at them, and it was really pretty. They're mountains. But at the same time, I was kind of like, where's all the trees? You know, Where, It's just dry and, and brown. And I really grew in my gratitude for Seattle uh, on that trip. And I remember as I drove back Wednesday night coming over, over by Boeing and seeing the city and just being like, ah, oh, there it is. I love this city. Even Friday night, the, the elders and their wives, we had a little boating outing. And as we were crossing through Lake Union over to Lake Washington, got to see a beautiful picture of the skyline. And I turned to Steve Kearns and I was just, just said, why would anyone want to leave this place? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand. It's beautiful. I love this city. I am even one of those weird Seattleites that's ready for the rain. Right? Anybody else? Yes, all right, we got a few in here. I'm ready for fall, I'm ready for fall because the rain is gonna come back and the space needle is gonna be painted back to its normal color, which is something we can all rejoice in, right? That galaxy gold is hideous. It'll be white, don't worry. Anyways, I, I'm ready for fall, I love this city. But I do recognize that, that my love for Seattle is, is not always shared by everyone. I, I recognize that not everyone shares the affection for the city. I know that there are many who live here and hate it. And, and not just because of the rain. I know that the rain can be a really heavy thing living here. But let's be honest also, there are so many other places around the world that register as the happiest places on earth and have similar, if not worse, weather than we do. It's not just the weather that makes this city something hard to live in. City, the city of Seattle is, is difficult. 
It's difficult to, to really love. It's difficult for us to really feel at home here. Much of the reason people feel uh, like they hate Seattle and don't want to live here any longer is just because it's so cramped and competitive. And, and for the Christian, it's socially and relationally uncomfortable. Living in the big city of Seattle is a difficult thing. We feel pressure all the time. Even if you weren't a Christian, you would feel the pressure of a competitive market, right? Gosh, living in Seattle is difficult. And that pressure that we feel as residents of Seattle is actually not foreign to the book of Revelation. So if you remember back to the beginning of this series, we looked at the churches that this letter is addressed to, and each of them were addressed as a church within a specific city. And all of those seven churches were experiencing great difficulty and pressure in living out their faith within their uh, specific city. I mean, think about it. The book of Revelation is addressed to those who live in the city. Not that it's not for those who are not in the city, but it is addressed originally to those who feel the pressure of being a Christian in the big city. I told you this before, but the, the book of Revelation is it's not a codex for us to unravel with our calculators and with our calendars. No, the book of Revelation is a discipleship manual on how to stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of trial and pressure, and maybe even specifically the trial and pressure that comes along with living in a city. And at this, po at this point in the book of Revelation, living like a Christian in a big city is actually addressed in a very unique way. <laughs> this section in Revelation 18 and even, even before in Revelation 17, it addresses the question of how you stay faithful as a Christian in a city in a really unique way. First, if you see what we read through in chapter 18, it addresses us living in the city by actually condemning the city, condemning the city. Last week, we looked at what is called the, the seven bowls. And if you remember that scene in Revelation, God's wrath and judgment is poured out on those who have rejected Jesus Christ and gone along with the beast that we were introduced to in Revelation 13. Last week, we covered the final judgment of God's wrath being poured out, and we saw how evil won't get away with anything. And then, in this section, the scene shifts in Revelation 17. All, all of a sudden, we are introduced to the imagery of, I didn't read this part because I didn't want to read it in front of you, the imagery of a great prostitute who's riding on the back of the beast. And, and this prostitute is, as Revelation 17 shows, uniquely seductive and has used her seduction to sway whole peoples and nations into, into her immorality and blasphemous living. Another one of the strange things in Revelation. But what is really going on? Is there really, do we really think that we'll expect to see some sedu seducive Seductive, <laughs> seductive prostitute riding on the back of a beast at some point. No, no, that's, that's not what's going on. So what is going on? Well, this is one of the few places in Revelation that we actually get an interpretation from the text. Usually as you go through Revelation and you see all the different imagery, you, you really have to figure it out. You have to have the context of what's going on and then even look at uh, the Old Testament to see what's going on. But here is one of the unique places where we're just given what it actually means. And so after giving the imagery around how this prostitute in Revelation 17 seduces people away from God, 
and uses the political power of the beast to conquer, we are told, in, told this in chapter 17, verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And so the prostitute is what the angel calls the great city. It's a city that uses power and seduction to lure people away from the living God and trap them in immoral and blasphemous lifestyles. Some great city. Now, if you were living at this time in 96 AD when this was most likely written, what do you think would come into your mind when you heard the words, the great city? Anybody have any idea? Rome, yes. These Christians would have heard the imagery around this prostitute and pretty quickly had the city of Rome in their minds. But then strangely enough, as it shifts into chapter 18, it's not Rome that is condemned, but Babylon. <laughs> Babylon. Now, Babylon is an important title in, in the Bible. Babylon was an empire and city in the Old Testament that had conquered the world and had even taken the Israelites into captivity. It was a specific place in the Old Testament. But in many ways, Babylon is used in the Bible as shorthand for any city that has rejected the living God and have gone on in their own selfish way. Even Babylon is built on, if you remember, the Tower of Babel, which the whole thing about the Tower of Babel was so that people could build a name for themselves, so they could build a tower so they could reach to the heavens and wouldn't have to have God come down to them. It was all about them building in their own strength. And Babylon is, is just like that. And Babylon, throughout the whole Bible, is in many ways shorthand for cities and nations that go on living in a rejection of the living God and have gone on in their own selfish way. Which means this. What is being condemned here in Revelation 18 is not just a specific place called Babylon, but rather any city that has rejected the living God and gone on their own way. That's what's being condemned here. It's not just a specific place. It's not just Rome. It's not just the actual city of Babylon that was back then. But any city that has gone on living in its own way is condemned. And condemnation is the right response. The city that has taken on Babylonness is condemned by God. As you read through Revelation 18, you see that it is condemned for its sensuality. In 18.3, in verse 9, we see that the city, Babylon, has corrupted the earth with her immorality. The Babylon-like city uses sex to sell. It glories in the sensuality of immorality, and God condemns it for that. God condemns the, the Babylon-like city for its injustice. I mean, let, let, let me read this in, in 18 verse, let's see here. Where's it at? Verse 13. No, verse 12. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of costly wood. Bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, horses, and chariots, and slaves. That is, human souls. Did you pick up 
the injustice of just that. Everything that is, that is read here, gold, silver, pearls, cinnamon, is all read before human souls. God condemns this city because of the injustice of the city. It has brought the, the value system of slavery. It values products over people, and more than that, it uses people in order to build its glittering wealth. God condemns its injustice. God condemns the Babylon-like city for its worship of products and productivity, if you go later in the text. In the section after our scripture reading, there comes this description of how so many people grew wealthy from the production of the city, and that the production of the city was the glory of her existence. God condemns that. And we could go on and on. It's condemned for its deception, for its idolatry, for its violence. But all of this is to show that in the book of Revelation, the city, the evil city, is spoken of honestly, of what's really going on, which is good news for these original hearers and for us. Living as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, that has taken on the, the, the Babylonness. That's hard. And here in Revelation, Re- Revelation 18, what we see is that everything that makes it hard for these Christians and for us will actually be judged by God. The culture and the ethos of what was then Rome, Rome was the Babylon city, Everything that had made it difficult for these original Christians to thrive will be judged by God. Everything that makes it difficult in their specific city to follow Jesus faithfully will be handled and judged by God. And the same is true for us. I could read through Revelation 18. Listen, I told you at the beginning, I love Seattle. But I could read through Revelation 18 and see everything that God condemns Babylon for exists here in this city, thrives here in this city. And the text here is showing that God will judge that. God will bring his wrath against that, which is really good news for us because again, everything that makes life as a Christian in Seattle difficult will be judged by God the sensuality and the obsession with sexuality that our city has. It'll be handled and judged by God. The idolatry of our city and the worship of career and GDP, that will be handled and judged by God. So how does Revelation help us endure as a city? Well, the first way that Revelation helps us as Christians endure in the city is by showing us that God sees everything that makes life difficult as a Christian in the city. And then shows that in the end, those difficulties will be dealt with. The cultural ethos and lifestyle that pressures us in our faith will eventually be dealt with and ended. But there's more. If the cultural ethos of the Babylon-like city is going to be condemned and judged, What does that mean for us right now? How should Christians relate to the city? It's good news that everything that makes it hard to stay faithful to Jesus will eventually be judged and condemned, but how should that influence how we act now? Well, there's something there in in, in verse four. It says this. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, 
Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her. Now, is that a call for us to all leave? If the Babylon-like city, like Seattle or like Rome, is as bad as it says it is, is the call for the text here for us to just leave? Is God telling these Christians to all just throw in on a big U-Haul and get going? Go move into the countryside where it's a little bit easier to be a Christian. No, I, I don't think that's what the call is here. If that were the case, you would think that Jesus would have told them earlier in Revelation to do that. I mean, he literally went through each of the seven churches, remember, and addressed them in their specific context and city. If Jesus wanted them to escape the evil city, he surely would have bypassed all that endurance talk and just told them to just move out to the countryside where it's easier to be a Christian. But Jesus isn't telling them to escape. He says to come out of the evil city, lest you take part in her sins. The call here for us as Christians and for them is not to leave the evil city, to leave the Babylon, but rather to, in many ways, remain, but be unlike the evil city. To come out of her. Now, Remember, the, the language, the imagery of the Babylon, Babylonian city is a prostitute, which means come out of her, means get out of bed. Don't lay with her. Don't join with her in everything that she's doing. But rather, abstain. Be apart. This is the classic call of the New Testament to be in the world, but not of it. The call of Revelation to Christians in the city is to be in the city, but not of it. Revelation does not prescribe escape, but rather remain, be in the city, but be the city's gospel opposite. Don't give in. That's why Jesus is, is giving all these visions to John is for these Christians in those seven cities so that they can endure. Jesus isn't telling them to leave. Jesus isn't telling them to move. He's telling them, stay but remain faithful. Stay, but do not be of the city. Be in the city, but not of it. And the question, I think, is how do we do that? How do we remain in the Seattle metro area, but not be of it? Well, first, let's, let's talk about being in the city. How, how do you uniquely be a Christian in the city? Well, I'm, I'm reminded of, of what we covered last year, actually, in our Why Us, Why Here series. At the end of that series, we looked at Jeremiah 29, where God addresses his people that live in the literal Babylon at that time. The literal Babylon. And in that text, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 11, God instructs his people who live in the evil city of Babylon, and he instructs them to settle in. That's God's call for his people who are in the literal Babylon. Settle in. He says to build houses. He says to have kids. He says to grow gardens. All things that take a good amount of time, right? Settle in. 
God tells them to settle into the city that makes them deeply uncomfortable and is actually hostile to their faith. Did you hear that? God tells his people, stay where it's uncomfortable. Stay where it's hostile to your faith. And he roots that instruction in the text of Jeremiah 29. I should have had it up, but he roots that instruction in one main thing, his own sovereignty. God instructs the Israelites in Jeremiah 29 to settle into Babylon precisely because he's the one who sent them into it. Partly due to their sin, for sure, if you read the text, but also for other purposes for their time there in Babylon. God instructs his people to remain in Babylon and does that instruction but on the basis of his sovereignty, that he has specific purposes for them as they are in exile in Babylon. Again, they are there in exile because of God's sovereignty. And God notes in the text two main purposes for their exile. He highlights in that text the desire for the welfare of Babylon, the welfare of the evil city. And also, all throughout the book of Jeremiah, he highlights the good that he wants to do in them through their exile. And so, in other words, God has sovereignly placed them in exile in order to do good to Babylon through them and also do good in them through Babylon. <laughs> That's what it means to stay in the city. If, you, if the call for Christians is to remain in the city, what that means is for you to see that God has placed you here. God has put you here. You didn't come here because of Amazon. You didn't come here because of Boeing. You didn't come here because you like mountains and you're the outdoorsy type. You're here because God placed you here. And he placed you here with specific purposes. God wants to do good to Seattle, even the evil city Seattle. God wants to do good to Seattle through you. And he wants to do good to you through Seattle. <laughs> God wants you to invest. Part of what it means to be in the city, but not of it, dealing with it in the city, is for you to see that God has you here for a purpose. You're not just here for a job. You're not just here for the outdoors, but you are here because, because God wants to do something in Seattle through you. And God wants to do something in you through Seattle. And so the call of, for Christians is to be in the city. And to, in some ways, embrace all the ways that that makes us deeply uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable in Seattle is not a good reason to leave. Having the pressure of Seattle in our faith cannot be the only reason why you want to duck out. Instead, you've got, to have to see, you've got to see that actually the pressure, the way that it weighs heavy on you, maybe that's God being good to you. <laughs> maybe God wants to weed some of the idols of comfort out of your heart. That's a good thing. That's a hard thing. I don't want to undersell the difficulty of that. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing for God to deal with that in you. So it's not just that you're called to Seattle so that you can do good to Seattle, but also you are here because God wants to do good to you through Seattle. 
And so for the Christians, the call is to be in the city. Be invested. Friends, settle in. Have kids. Buy a house if you can't. <laughs> Invest in the city. See this as your home. You know what? I, I, I'm a transplant to Seattle, like many of us. And I found that transplants often have this language. Yeah, I'm going to go back home to visit my family. No, you're not. <laughs> you are home. I get what you're saying in that, but you are home. You going back is you going to visit family where their home is. <laughs> but God has placed you here. And your home is here. So be in it. Be in it. But don't be of it. Be in the city, but don't be of it. And that's easy for us to see as the call of Revelation. <laughs> to not be like the city. We are to be its gospel opposite. Now, part of, the, part of the way we do that in many ways is by simply looking at the things that God condemns the Babylon-like city for and asking us to question, are we embodying some of those same things? Remember, God condemns the Babylon-like city for its sensuality, for its idolatry, for its worship of productivity, and even eventually for its violence. Are we as Christians here today giving in to any of those areas? Has Seattle, here's a, here's a question for you, again, on the whole transplant thing. If, you're, if this is where you're from, just settle in, but I have questions for the transplants. Living here in Seattle, how has it changed you? Not, not for good, I think Seattle can very much so change you for the good, but is there anything that as you've lived here in Seattle, you've become a little bit more loose on this? Become maybe a little bit more open on, on this? Well, maybe what that is, is you being more like Seattle than you are a Christian. And so we've got to see that, yes, we should be in the city, but we should also not be of the city. And we've got to be really careful at analyzing whether we're being of the city. Because remember, the whole imagery of the evil city is a prostitute, which means it's incredibly seductive and alluring. And so the way that the city can shape you can be so quietly done and you don't even see it, but it's also appealing the whole time. It's putting forward things for you to, to try and seduce you. And so we should watch over carefully how our city is shaping us. We as Christians should be in the city and have a commitment to it, but also not be of the city. Reject its idols. Reject the way that our city operates. And I think Seattle specifically tries to seduce us in very specific ways. Materialism, right? Toys, trips, and Teslas. That's Seattle. That's life in Seattle. And I'm not hating on trips. I just got back from one, right? But that's one of the ways that it tries to seduce us. It's just this, this deep-seated materialism that life is about what you have or could have. And so climb that ladder, get more money so that you can get more things. Is Seattle seducing you, friends? Or maybe in its individualism. That's what's rooted in the Seattle freeze, if that thing even exists. <laughs> the reason why disconnection and isolation thrives here in Seattle is because of its individualism. And so have you been separated from the back? <laughs> 
Have you turned your life into a campaign of individualism and you don't really have community because of it? Maybe Seattle shaping you. Or just this deep-seated, cynical apathy about life. <laughs> what the old church fathers used to call acedia. That's, that is rampant here in Seattle. Just this apathy. I, I, can't really, I can't really connect. I can't really do this. It, it's just a cynical nature. Has that been shaping you? Friend, it's, it's a real question for you to ask yourself. How has this city shaped you? Are you more Seattle than you are Christian? Are you more Seattle than you are Christian? And that's important for us to ask also because in many ways, just like Babylon has fallen, the ethos and culture that moves us away from God in Seattle will also fall. So if we are living in bed with it, so will we, friend. We should be in the city, but not of it. That's the call of Revelation to you today. And I know it's not an easy call. I know it's not a comfortable call, but neither is the Christian life. So how has Seattle shaped you? How has it moved you away from faithfulness to Jesus? How is it working against your discipleship right now? Are there ways and lifestyles that are not in line with what it means to follow Jesus faithfully in real life? Answer that question so that we're not of the city. And then, friends, as we, as we analyze that, as we think about that, we've got to remember that later in Revelation, actually right after this in Revelation 19, comes the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is all about gathering. The city is so much about gathering, so is, so is this call of this. Which one do you want to be included in? Do you want to be included in Babylon that's going to be condemned, or do you want to be included in the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do you want to follow Jesus faithfully and be with him there? Friends, I, I want to tell you that I, I know my thoughts are all over the place this morning, but it's all from, from this burden. You should stay in Seattle and not be of Seattle because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have every resource necessary to follow Jesus faithfully here. If you're intimidated by being a Christian here in Seattle, I want you to hear the good news that you've been reconciled to God by grace in Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God to live faithful to Jesus. What in the world makes you think you can't make it here? What in the world makes you think that Seattle is more, the difficulty of Seattle is more powerful than the spirit of God that dwells in you? And so all through Revelation, we've, we've seen how to endure, we've seen how we need resilience, but in this section and this topic of the city and how hard it is, I want you to know, friend, that you have everything you need to follow Jesus here. Don't oversell the difficulty and undersell the power of the Spirit of God. Because of Jesus Christ, you've been given the resources necessary to thrive here. And so I wanna end our time just, to, just praying, praying together. I, I'm gonna pray, but I wanna invite you to pray as well, to, to think about all the ways that Seattle just grinds against you, how the evil city grinds against your faith. And then trust that, that by the power of the Spirit, you can thrive, you can flourish. 
And so I'm, I'm going I'm to be silent for just a few, and I, and I want you to reflect and maybe think of the ways that you're more Seattle than you are a Christian currently. And then reflect on all the ways that, that God, by his grace in Christ, can be your helper. Let's be silent for a few, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, your word says that by your providence, you assign times and places, our geographical borders on where we live. God, wherever we are and when we are is exactly where you want us to be. Your providence and your sovereignty has placed us here today in Seattle. God, I pray that you would help us to see the purpose behind that. I do pray that you would help us to see the warning of this text. That to live like the Babylon city, to be a part of that is to head head toward destruction. It will fall. But also to feel the sense of calling because of your sovereignty. Father, I pray that you would help us to to realize and embrace all the ways that we are good for Seattle as Christians. And Seattle is good for us as Christians. So God, would would you give us grace to realize that, to embrace that, to embrace the call to be in the city, but not of it. And would your spirit continue to lead us and help us to see all the ways in which you've been shaped by this city and all the ways that you call us to instead be its gospel opposite. God, be our helper by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.